trip is that thing where someone or something makes you feel bad about something you're doing or something you're not doing. And the pressure of that guilt trip is so much that you feel like you need to start doing something or you need to stop doing something. One female philosopher said this, my mom doesn't just enjoy guilt trips, she runs the travel agency. Yeah, we've been there before, right? One teenager somewhere in our community has a t-shirt that says, my dad took me on a guilt trip and all I got was this lousy shirt. Somebody probably has that somewhere. Sometimes when it comes to guilt trips, you just have to not buy the tickets. You just have to refuse to get those tickets. I saw one mother say this. She said, I see all these moms on Pinterest making colored spaghetti noodles for their kids and homemade Play-Doh. And I'm thinking, look, I had a shower today and I kept the kids alive. Go me. Yeah. Yeah, we've been there. Now, those are some funny reflections on guilt trip. But most of us know that there's not a lot funny about a guilt trip. It, it is brutal sometimes. It's brutal on our emotions, on our attitudes. It's, it's a terrible thing to fall under the weight of a guilt trip. And when all of us use them, and we do, when we use a guilt trip, at the very least, we're not being very kind. So I say all that about guilt trips to say this. I am not going to give you a guilt trip today. Really, 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 I'm, I'm not going to give you a guilt trip. My desire is to give you a gift trip. Not a guilt trip, but a gift trip. So what is that gift? Well, the gift begins with a question. And here's the question. What is one of the most important things you can do in life? That's the question that leads to the gift. What is one of the most important things you can do in life. So what is the gift? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. Dr. Luke here is writing about Jesus, and this is what he says. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath. One of the most important things you can do in life is to show up at church online or in person, to show up at church. No, no guilt trip on this, just a gift trip. No guilt trip, just a, a simple encouragement. Jesus made it a habit of showing up at church. It was his pattern. It was what he did. And in this moment of Scripture, we find him showing up at his home church, the place he'd been going for 30 years. Everybody knew him. They knew his family. His family was part of this church. I don't know if they were front row people or back row people or sat in the balcony. I don't know, but they were in church and they were known. And not just because of church. People knew them because Jesus and his family, they were carpenters. Maybe they were the only carpenters in town. And so people in the church, they had bought a table or a chair or a bread box or something from Jesus and Joseph and the family. They, they knew the family not just from church, but they knew them from the community. It's where Jesus went to church. The truth of what we see in Scripture reminds us that this picture of the church is something that we can't miss. We can't miss the importance that Jesus put 
on the church. And let me just say this, too. No matter what our age is, more than likely, we would not have liked the church that Jesus went to. <laughs> we wouldn't. We wouldn't have liked the music. We wouldn't have liked the preaching. Um, there wasn't any heat or air. There, there were no great youth or children's activities. There were no automatic you know, dryers and, and, and paper towel holders in the bathroom. I don't know if there were bathrooms for that matter. Yeah, the first Baptist church of Nazareth would not have been a crowd pleaser to us. But that was where Jesus went to church. It was his pattern to go to that church. He was in the habit of being in fellowship with people that followed God. What does that mean? What does it mean to, to be in fellowship with people that followed God? Well, the word for fellowship that Luke uses here means to share things. It's, it's a shared life, to, to share things, to have things in common. It means to, to link up together, to connect together, to participate together, to, to partner together. It, it means a, a family, a, a shared life together. Now, maybe you feel like this church is your shared life church, your church family. Or maybe you don't. And if you don't feel like this church is your church family, you might not feel like any church is your church family, and maybe you have some reasons for feeling that way. Maybe some of those reasons you might say, well, I had a bad experience at another church. Or you may say, well, I'm, I grew up in a different denomination. Or you may say, well, I don't feel like I have a church family because I, I work too much or I go out of town a lot or you know, I don't like the music or I don't like business meetings or I can't sit that long or I just really like being at home in my jammies and watching online. You might say, well, I don't feel like I have a church family because I just really don't feel like it's important to join a church and, and the pastor hasn't been to visit me at my house and I'm vegan and your pastor always talks about bacon. So, you know, I just don't think this is my church family. We have a lot of thoughts about particular churches and our thoughts about churches, but when it comes to true Christian fellowship, the ultimate definition of true Christian fellowship has nothing to do with a particular church, including this one. It's a completely different definition. The Apostle John was writing to some of the very first Christians, and this is what he wrote to them. What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And then he said this, and indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Fellowship, true Christian fellowship, does not begin in the fellowship hall. True Christian fellowship begins in your soul. The definition of Christian fellowship is found in Christ. So if you are not in Christ, if you are not a Christian, if you have not repented of your sin and cried out for God to save you, then you are not part of this shared life. You are not part of God's family, even if your name is on the membership role of a church somewhere. This shared life is only experienced for those who are in Christ, for those who have been saved. So we would plead with you because we think the church is one of the most wonderful things in the universe. We would plead with you to come to Christ. We would plead with you to repent of sin, 
to receive the salvation that Jesus offers. Salvation that brings freedom to your soul right now and brings freedom to your soul tomorrow and the next day and the next day that brings freedom to your soul at the moment of death and brings freedom to your soul for 10,000 years times infinity. We would plead with you to come to Christ to be a part of this shared life. Now, over the last 14 months, the shared life of the church, the church family, has been a little more challenging, hasn't it? But we have faced it head on. And we have made the changes that we had to make, just like Holland Avenue Baptist Church has been making for more than six decades, so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would continue to be proclaimed in word and was a change for the sake of change. It was change so that the name of Jesus would keep being lifted up. I heard an interesting description of change this week based on the parable of the Good Samaritan. That description goes like this. Darius Daniel says, I cease to see change as change, but as love. I cease to see change as change, but as love. Just chew on that. Marinate on that just for a moment. See, as believers, we don't change for the sake of change. We change wisely, prayerfully, thankfully, and joyfully. We, we change as a reflection and for the purpose of love. Think about the story of the Good Samaritan. What, what happened was there was this, this guy who was beaten up, this man left for dead on the side of the road. Was he 18 years old? Was he 78 years old? Was he black or Middle Eastern? He wasn't white. Was he a, a carpenter or a, a doctor or a farmer or a lawyer? Or was he a drug addict, drug addict or was he homeless? We don't know. And Jesus doesn't give us any details, and undoubtedly the details didn't matter because the Samaritan stopped. He changed his plan because to him, changing his plan wasn't change, it was love. It was an opportunity for him to give love to someone in need. Jesus made it a habit to regularly be a part of church. He showed up at church because church is that place that by design helps us toward love. I heard another story this week about a church in Florida. This is probably, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago. And the, the church was, was having a meeting about moving the time of choir practice. That was what the meeting was about, moving the time of choir practice. And needless to say, things got heated, things got emotional, people were angry, people were crying, people were screaming. This is how it was described. I'm not exaggerating. And at some point in the conversation, Conrad Nagel, an older man in the church, asked if he could say a word. Conrad was the chief of the shuttle project office for NASA at Kennedy Space Center. And this is what Conrad said. We can't sacrifice the faith of the next generation on the altar of our preferences. See, Conrad didn't see change as change. He saw change as love. Love to the people that he was sharing life with. Love to his church family. Love to people that one day will be at that church when he is gone and with Jesus. 
And see, change is change. You saw change as love. Jesus was in the habit of going to church. Jesus was in the habit of being a part of a group of people that pursued change for the sake of love. Not change over theology, not change over doctrine, but change over preferences because it was a way to love other people. Jesus was in the habit of going and being a part of a fellowship of people who followed after God. It was his habit. It's what he did. He showed up at church. One of the most important things you can do in life is to show up at church. No guilt trip, a gift trip because of how incredible the church truly is. So why should you do this? Well, this series has been on the inside out. So the notion of showing up at church and being a part of the fellowship of the church is something that can help you from the inside out. You've heard me say before, we don't just come to worship, we bring our worship. We bring our time with God during the week into the fellowship of believers. See, I have weeks that are crazy stressful. Like, today is crazy stressful. I probably won't be home until 10 o'clock tonight, and this is my first of two sermons that I'll be preaching today. I'll be preaching at my son's baccalaureate service tonight. So today is psycho for me. It's crazy stressful. And some days and some weeks feel impossible. So you know what I need? I need to sit in that chair and hear your voices. Your worship helps And then sometimes you're having an impossible week. You're having a stressful week. And you need my worship. You need me to help you see and enjoy God. The reason that we're part of the fellowship of believers, of people who follow after God, is because it helps us from the inside out. It helps us find God together. One of my friends always tells me the week of Easter, he says, all right, man, it's Super Bowl week for you. And because of what I believe about the church, I will usually jokingly say back to him, my view is that every Sunday I preach is Super Bowl Sunday. That's the attitude I take, and I'll always take it. David Mathis has a great picture of this fellowship, this true fellowship in the life of the church. This is what he says. True fellowship is less like friends gathered to watch the Super Bowl. It's more like players on the field in blood, sweat, and tears huddled in the backfield only in preparation for the next down. It means life is hard and we don't come together to entertain each other. And we don't come to watch. We come to participate. We come to engage. But then he gives a a deeper picture. True fellowship is more the invading troops side by side on the beach at Normandy than it is the gleeful revelers in the street on VE Day. The church is more of that than it is of the other. True fellowship is designed to help us from the inside out because it's blood, sweat, and tears together. True fellowship in the church is designed to help us from the inside out because we have been called to be side by side in battle for the kingdom of God. It's a different picture than just being here, enjoying things, being comfortable, being positive, being encouraged. True fellowship 
is blood and sweat and tears together. And that takes all of us. It takes every single one of us. I know that many people want me to be their personal pastor. But I can't be a personal pastor to more than 300 people. It's just not even possible. I mean, for most days, I'm just hoping I can take a shower and keep my kids alive, you know? I mean, that's what I'm going for. So it takes all of us. All of us are part of the body. All of us have a role. Your role might be prayer. Your role might be giving. It might be greeting. It might be teaching. It might be leading. It might be pressure washing the church. It might be walking around and and just, you know, this week, one of the churches I was at in Charlotte, one of their volunteers, his job during the week when they have events is just to go around and make the bathroom, make sure the bathrooms are are flushed and there's toilet paper. That's just all he does. And I watched him do it all day long. And after about three hours, I just said, sir, thank you so much. He was just a member of the church. And his job all day this past Thursday at his church was just to make sure the bathrooms are okay. That was a huge deal in my life. <laughs> it made a difference for me. So, so we, we tend to be very glamorous. Oh, I, I teach at church. Great, super, we need teachers. But you know, we need a guy who just checks the bathrooms. We need you to serve because your service makes a big deal in the kingdom of God. God's called us to serve. He's called us to do life together. And what does that life look like? Well, the Bible has this thing. It's called the one another's. And there's a lot of one another's in the Bible. I'm just going to read through a handful. These are all from the New Testament. Just, just listen to these. Be at peace with one another. Love one another. Build one another up. Give preference to one another. Serve one another. Be devoted to one another. Rejoice with one another. Weep with one another. Care for one another. Be kind to one another. Forgive one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Give compassion to one another. Pray for one another. Confess your sin to one another. Accept one another and be truthful with one another. And there's more and there's more and there's more. Can you imagine what would happen in the life of a local church if we really started owning all the one another's? If, if these pictures in the scripture became who we are, you know what would happen? A lot of powerful things would happen. And here's just two. I'm just going to give you two powerful things that will happen when we begin to look like the fellowship that we see in the Bible, that shared life. And here's the first thing. We will have assurance. We'll have assurance. About 900 years before Jesus was born, there was a prophet of God named Elijah. Elijah was having a a rough time. Somebody very high up in government was trying to kill him, trying to take his life. He was afraid. He was anxious. He was depressed and distressed. He was having a pity party. He was having all this rolled up into one, and he felt very alone. Ever felt very alone? Ever felt all of those things rolled up into one? Well, in that moment when all of that was happening, God spoke to him. And God said a lot of things to him, but eventually God said this to him. 1 Kings 19, verse 18. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel all the knees that have not bowed to Baal. 
Elijah felt so alone. He'd been preaching, he'd been teaching for a long time, and nobody was with him. He was by himself. Nobody came to his church. Nobody attended. He was physically and spiritually and emotionally alone. You ever been there? You ever felt that way? And in that moment, God shows up, speaks to him, and says, Hey, by the way, some people have been listening to your sermon podcast. And they've started following me. And when all of this wraps up, there's a mega church of 7,000 people waiting to join you. Can you imagine how encouraging that would have been? He felt so alone. Nobody cares. Nobody knows what I'm going through. I'm all by myself. I've got people trying to kill me. I'm hiding out. I'm afraid. And God says, by the way, you're not alone. I've got 7,000 people who are following me, and they're ready to join up with you. Part of showing up and being a part of the shared life of a local church is we get this assurance that we're not alone and that this is all not a fairy tale. But it's not just the local church. It's also the the big C church. Not just our one church, but the church at large. This past Thursday, I've kind of alluded to it. A few of us from the church went to a, a church conference in Charlotte. There was probably about 300 people there, uh, maybe more than 100 churches represented. It was mostly volunteers, uh, youth pastors, children's pastors. There was a handful of pastors there. And there was so much that happened in that one day that just encouraged and challenged my heart. And, and I just want to share a few pictures with you because I hope that it will encourage you as well. During one part of the conference, actually several times, they, they went out into the audience with a microphone and they, and they had different questions. And one of the questions they went out and asked was, hey, what's the hardest thing that you've experienced in your church during COVID? And there was a, a young African-American student pastor that stood up and, and he told his story. He said he was on the phone with the mom of one of his youth in the church. And while he was talking to the mom, the youth at another place in the house, it sounded as the story went, took his own life. He's talking to the mom, and the student takes his life. That youth pastor was so thankful to be in a room full of 300 people from Minnesota to Florida and all points in between, from all different kinds of churches, all different kind of backgrounds, all different color skin. He was so thankful to be in a room full of Christians and remember that he was not alone. He is not alone. They had a coffee bar out in the lobby and, and they had regular and decaf. How about that? Let it and unlet it. I get out there and, and I'm a decaf guy. Sorry for you coffee people. So I got me a little cup of decaf and I was reaching to get some creamer and I kind of had to reach across this lady who was there getting some regular. And I said, I'm so sorry I'm reaching over you. And she said, hey, you don't worry about it. Us coffee drinkers have to stick together. I didn't have the heart to tell her that that was probably my fourth or fifth cup of coffee of the year. Yeah, not really a coffee guy. I try. A little later, 
they had the microphone going around and the question was still the same. What's the hardest thing you've had to deal with during COVID at your church? And I looked up, it was my coffee buddy on the microphone. I was like, hey, there she is. And this is what she said. She said, I just really wasn't prepared for everybody being so mean. And, and I'll just say, in 27 years of ministry, at nine different churches over four states, I have not been prepared for how mean and angry Christians have been over the last 14 months. Of every church, every denomination, almost anywhere I go or anything I watch, I, I just haven't been prepared. I wasn't prepared for the meanness and the anger. Not anger over the holiness of God. Anger and meanness over personal preferences. I just wasn't prepared. And this is what she said. She said, and not just in my church. My daughter was a children's minister, and, and she got let go because she started ministering to some kids who weren't like the other people in their church. She said, I just wasn't prepared. My coffee buddy was happy to have a coffee buddy, but she was also really thankful to be in a room of 300-plus people and remember that she is not alone. She's not. And I just throw in as a, an added encouragement to you. Uh, this church was, uh, was up in Charlotte. It was a big church. It's on the campus of the former PTL. Some of y'all know what that is. Some of you have no clue, and that's fine. But it was a pretty big church, and just to encourage you, their setup was exactly like ours. Every other row, they asked people to wear masks. Some people took their mask off when they sat down. Some people didn't, but I didn't see anybody mean or angry or complaining. And I just want to say thank you to you. You have been gracious and continue to be gracious and helpful. And we just want to say thank you. Our regathering team meets again this afternoon. Thank you for praying for us. So thankful for that group of lay people and staff that have helped us kind of maneuver through this year. And so thank you for your patience. Thank you for your willingness to change, not for the sake of change, but to change for love. I thank you for that. They went out another time with the microphone. And this time the question was, what have you done different over the last 14 months in your church? And this lady stood up over in the corner and she said, well, our church didn't exist until this year. We started the church on Zoom and it grew enough that now we're physically meeting together. We have a church and there are six of us here from our church at a church conference. In that moment, I personally, was so thankful to be in a room of 300 plus people and know that I am not alone. Whatever you're mad about, whatever you're angry about, whatever preference is ticking you off, if you're a Christian, the gospel is alive. The gospel has not lost its power. We may think that things are wrong, but they are not Jesus is still king. He's starting churches by Zoom. He's building churches up. When people abandon a church, they find another one. Another one comes up. When people are hurting, there are churches next to them. There are believers there. Friend, you are not alone. I am not alone. The gospel is alive. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed. Be of good cheer. Your showing up matters. It matters. It matters.
asked a question. They said, how many churches are struggling financially? Just ask for a show of hands. So again, you know, 300 something people in this room. I, I think I saw maybe six hands go up. So like 100 churches and maybe five or six, less than 10, did not raise their hands saying that, that we have financial problems. And here's why I tell you that, to encourage you. For whatever you are hearing on the news and the radio about the demise of the church, whatever you're hearing about our potential loss religious freedoms, I would just like you to know that the church is alive and well. And I rode by church after church after church after church all over the greater Charlotte area. And I have a hard time believing that what I hear on the news is going to cause all these believers to say, let's just quit. In fact, I see the opposite. I saw a room of people that have churches just like ours. Churches that said, we're just going to keep giving because we believe in the gospel. And friend, you have done that. You have kept giving because you believe in the gospel and you believe in the church and you believe in the kingdom of God. And so I say thank you. Thank you that nobody from our church had to raise their hand. God has been good and kind and gracious. And we worship him because of that. One of the things that happens when the church begins to share life together, one of the things that happens when you show up is you get assurance that you're not alone. Jesus made it a habit to go to church, to show up at church, because church is a place that helps us remember that this is not a fairy tale. Church is a place that helps us remember that Jesus is alive. Praise God for the assurance we have just from being together today. One other thing. We have assurance and we have confidence. One day Jesus was talking to Peter. He turned to Peter and he said something really interesting. And you may think, well, how does showing up at church build my confidence? Or here, here's how church, showing up at church, builds your confidence. Again, if you're online or with us, this is how showing up builds your confidence. Jesus turned to Peter and this is what he said. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus turned to Peter and this is what he said about our church. It's what he said about every church in Casey and West Columbia that lifts up the name of Jesus. Every church in South Carolina, every church in the United States, every church around the world, Jesus turned to Peter and he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. So here's my math. If the gates of hell will not prevail against the church, then the gates of gas prices will not prevail against the church. And the gates of the economy will not prevail against the church. And the gates of the fear of losing religious liberty will not prevail 
against the church. And the gates of the government will not prevail against the church. And the gates of meanness will not prevail against the church. And the gates of cancer and disease and pandemic will not prevail against the church because death will not prevail against the church because Jesus is alive. Jesus made it his habit to show up at church because church was that place. Church is that family. Church is that shared life that helps us to see that no power of hell and no scheme of man can ever, 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 ever pluck us from God's hand. Online or on campus, that is something to show up.